Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hermeneutics Podcast. I'm your host, Naim O'Brien, and this is the program dedicated to the art and science of biblical interpretation. On today's show, we have a friend and special guest, Nathan Cravat. Is that right? Or Cravat? Nathan Cravat. Nathan Cravat. I messed it up twice. Okay. That's okay, man. Yeah, he is the uh, associate slash youth pastor of Gospel Light Church in Anderson, South Carolina, as well as more probably popularly, the co-host, along with JC and Brian, of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. So welcome to the Hermeneutics podcast. Naam, I appreciate it. It's good to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I love it. I actually was telling you before, I need to catch up. I'm a little bit behind, but love what you're doing. And honestly, what you're doing has the potential of completely undoing the purpose of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, because <laughs> if Baptist preachers and other denominations would study hermeneutics, then we wouldn't have very much to talk about if they would stick with the text and teach what the Bible actually says rather than their opinions. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I'm trying to put you all out of business. I don't know. Maybe and I the- hope you do. Trust me, <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> We tried to do this podcast uh, a few months ago, then uh, the internet basically shut down on us, and so we had to uh, reschedule, and you guys are busy, I'm busy over here in Norway, so it's just a joy to finally have you on. Well, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. So the reason you are on is uh, to discuss what I'm referring to as Old Paths Hermeneutics, Uh, And I want to do that because it it is connected with the independent fundamental Baptist movement, but I don't want to paint with a too broad of a brush or throw everybody uh, under the same bus because as you have said on your podcast, and I have said repeatedly on mine, that there are good and faithful pastors who honor the word of God in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. So we we give them uh, thanks and honor them for that. So I'm narrowing the field down to specifically that group uh, who like to champion the old paths, uh, and they have a typical old path hermeneutic. And if I remember right, and if I believe right, you uh, have experience in this uh, group, in this hermeneutical background, and you grew up in it and served in it. And so with that, we'll just uh, let you uh, give us a little bit about your background and your experience in the old path movement. Awesome. Yeah, man, I grew up in the independent fundamental Baptist camp meeting movement in the deep south in Florida, in Georgia, North Carolina, that that, that whole area, Alabama, Tennessee, that was the area I was in. And it was very much slanted towards this old path hermeneutic. And before I or before we try to define the old path hermeneutic. I want to just explain a little bit of my experience. So I grew up hearing preaching, camp meetings, revivals. My dad ran a boys home, a Baptist boys home, and we were almost, you know, 30, 40 weeks of the year, we're traveling to different churches and raising money and singing and hearing different preachers and pastors. So I I got a pretty good taste of, of what was out there in the independent fundamental Baptist world. I've said before that Lester Roloff was friends of our family. Uh, Peter Ruckman was friends of our family and, you know, was, was in our home and came to the boys home and taught and we would travel and hear him. 
and just all, all kinds of, I went and heard Jack Hiles when I was a kid at Tennessee Temple. And so was around that type. And so moving through the story, when I felt the call to preach at uh, around 25 years old in my life, uh, I started out by going to prisons and jails with a group of preacher boys in my church at Temple Baptist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And very thankful for that church, very thankful for that group of preacher boys because they invited me in. Actually, I invited myself to go start preaching with them. And they asked me, they said, are you a preacher? And I said, no, but I, I teach, you know, I've taught Sunday school and I, uh, I love God's word and want to share my testimony. I said, if there's an opportunity, then I would love to take it. So uh, I started going and very quickly there was an opportunity for me, for me to preach. And I had a sermon outline. I mean, it was even alliterated. I had points and sub points and went in. This is with no training, just my background in growing up in church. And uh, when I was just a young kid, I started taking notes and started even writing my own sermon. So the Lord was kind of working in my heart at that time. But when I stepped into this arena of preaching publicly, uh, I was mainly focused on preaching salvation sermons in the jails, obviously. And uh, just immediately, the other preacher boys there started confirming that I was a preacher and that God was calling me to preach. And within, I think, two months, I announced the call to preach. And so preached in the jails, was writing sermons, was enjoying it, loving that. But everything was pretty much just focused around topics of, you know, preaching on salvation or repentance or something like that. So everything I was doing was topical. And then I became a youth pastor and I had to preach every week. And that kind of opened a new door for me. And I was like, okay, what do I do? So without really thinking about it, my method was I would think and pray about what I wanted to preach about. And, you know, I would think about the problems that kids dealt with, with, with families, with immorality, with, you know, the direction our country was going or whatever. And I would think through where our kids, some specifically, and then just in general for youth ministry, where they were at, and I would come up with an idea for a sermon. For example, this isn't one I preached, but I heard this preached a lot as a kid. I would come up with an idea like, I'm not for sale. And then I would start looking for Bible verses to support that idea of not being for sale in our society, and our culture. And, you know, that's a really good message for kids to to know, not to just, you've got to know what you believe in and you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. So that's, that's a good idea. But I was honestly getting the whole preaching process backwards. I was starting with my thoughts, my ideas, which were based on scripture, but I would come up with this thought and idea. And then I would go on this treasure hunt and I would start searching for verses to back up what I was saying. And in that process, a lot of times when I wanted to preach something, I would go to a passage of scripture and start reading it. And thank God I had enough sense to study the context and to kind of dig a little bit deeper. And week after week, I was going to these big key passages that I had memorized or that, you know, I'd heard a lot of pastors preach about. And when I got there and started digging in the passage, I realized it wasn't saying what I thought it was saying at all. <laughs> so I, I began to, at the same time, I was, I was beginning seminary and went to Covington Theological Seminary, and they taught me hermeneutics and some different principles. 
And um, I'm still learning that, you know, I've been in the ministry probably 17 years and I'm still learning. But the, the IFB hermeneutic that I grew up with was basically you come up with an idea and then you find scripture to back it up. And it's okay. It's in play to pull verses from different random places and kind of act like they're all talking about the same thing. And it's also, as I'll give some examples in a little while, it's okay to preach something to make a true point, a true biblical point, a topic basically, even if it's out of context. I've, mm. I've seen scripture twisted and there was just something about the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me in my early ministry that I knew I couldn't do that. It was it was dishonest. So I was really banging my head up against the wall early on in ministry and had to figure out what the problem was. And when I started taking hermeneutics and started reading books and listening to sermons and and following what was happening in, in Bible preachers and teachers, that's where the light started coming on for me. And another thing that's very typical in IFB hermeneutics is that Typology and symbolism, rather than leaning on the author's intent or the true meaning of the passage, uh, typology, symbolism are big time, like important. I heard a guy the other day listening to a podcast say that someone in the book of Job represented Israel in the tribulation period. <laughs> I yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, mm -hmm. come on, how do you do that? So the symbolism, the topology, you can honestly make any verse mean anything you want it to if you run loose and free with Scripture like that. Yeah, and I think it's important to note what you said earlier, that sometimes what it's not what they are saying. Um, like you said, sometimes it, there's, a, there's a message that's being preached that is a good message. Sure. Um, I remember, and I'll, I'll name drop him, John Hamblin was recently preaching, recently as probably a year ago, um, preaching a, a sermon um, of the, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Jesus had told Peter, James, and John to, uh, to sit here and, and pray. Um, well, actually, the, the phrase he uses that James, the, the text he uses was the, the phrase said that um, James, John, and Peter kind of stopped and Jesus went about a stone's throw away and continued to pray. And Dr. Hamblin was saying that um, James, Peter, and John were wrong in not following Jesus into the station of prayer, into the place of prayer, and that uh, they were going to miss out on a lot of things because uh, they didn't go and pray and they didn't stay close to Jesus. Um, well, the problem with that is in a which, which is a good, I mean a good point. If you if you just take the point alone, it is very good to stay close to Jesus, no doubt about it. Um, but the problem is if you look at the parallel passages in the other gospel accounts. Jesus <laughs> Jesus explicitly commands the disciples to stay there and pray or so that he or stay there and be watchful and pray so that he can go on alone and spend time alone in prayer. And so I I confronted him about this. I, I, we had a phone call one day together. And I said you you said you had a message which the point of the message was good, but you were saying 
that the disciples were wrong and not staying close to Jesus when in fact they were being obedient to a very direct command of Christ. And his justification was, well, couldn't it be theoretically possible that Jesus was testing them? So I'm telling you to stay here and pray, but I really want you to come. Oh, man. And I mean, in the realm of theoretical possibilities, there might be a 0.00001% chance that that could have been the case. But I would much rather stay with what the authorial intent seems to be and the fact that Jesus wanted them to stay there so that he could go spend some time alone in prayer, which was his habit. And so this just goes to show that how um, even though your point could be good, the, the way you got there is horrendous. Um, mm-hmm. And where it comes to, where in my opinion, it comes to a head is you are training people like yourself when you're training up under the old path hermeneutic. Uh, you're training the people under you to treat the word of God in the same way. And they may not come to a right conclusion um, and try to back it up the same way that you did. So it's, it's, it's a dangerous hermeneutic, I think. And I think you were about to go into that. Yeah, and if we skip all the way to the end, the whole bottom line to this issue is that poor hermeneutics dishonors God and dishonors the Bible. Mm. When I take a text and teach something other than what that text teaches, it's almost like I'm improving on Jesus' sermon. Yep. You know, you know God is revealing himself through Scripture, so the Bible is God's sermon. And when I take a text and read a secondary or even third level meaning into that text, I'm dishonoring God's word. Now, you and I, I, I believe, would both agree that there are applications from Scripture. Yes. I, I personally preach what I believe the text means, what the text is teaching, the primary meaning of it, the author's intent, meaning the writer and the Holy Spirit. I try to dig down and get that, and that's the basis. But after I preach that, I always want to run to some sort of application. How can I apply this to my life? And there's a ton of applications. But what I grew up in in the old path hermeneutic, it's almost like application was all there is. And they wanted to skip over digging into the passage. And it really hurt me as a disciple, as a student of the Bible. I developed a skewed and warped view of what the whole purpose of Scripture was. Somebody wrote in to uh, Pastor John Piper on his program, Ask Pastor John, and asked him a question that I I believe really relates and gets to the heart of this issue. It's a really great question. They asked the question, does your theology drive your exegesis? Does, Does your systematic theology, the place that you're at where you've reached, like you and I both lean reformed Mm -hmm. and, um, the question they were wanting to know is, does that reformed view affect how you interpret scripture? And so he, he deals with that, but his fourth point is something that I think is a good springboard for us moving forward and talking about this. He said that we should always show what's really in the text. He said, I'm definitely afraid of imposing alien meanings on the text. I think imposing alien meanings from outside a text, even from other texts in God's word, is the death knell of authority in preaching, the death knell of trustworthiness as a preacher, the death knell of being interesting as a preacher, and the death knell of growing in our understanding of the Bible. 
He goes on and says, so my aim in preaching has always been show the people what's in the text, what is really there. And I want them to see what is really there. And if there is more than meets the eye regarding the glory of God, loving God, the cross of Christ, or any different topic, then it better be really visible to people when you are done. Show them how that came out of the text. So I grew up hearing so many things imposed on the text, and I'm, man, that that honestly bothers me more than anything else. And I think it's the root sin of all the issues that we address on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Mm. Man, that's, that's such a good quote from uh, Dr. Piper. I, I think we were just dealing with that issue on, in the latest teaching episodes of, of this podcast. Um, and it was, it, you recognize that, there is some sort of circular uh, process here because as you as you study a text of scripture, it is going to inform your pre-understanding the next time you come to a text of scripture. But the idea, like John Piper was just saying, was to allow the scripture to speak for itself, mm-hmm. uh, th- see what it says, and then and then wrestle with that later with your with your preconceived understanding. And that's where you get into issues like um, letting more clear passages uh, take more weight on a certain topic as are there less clear passages. Um, but that, that's a, a topic for another day. But what, I think what he was saying is true is like when you, when you, we all have these pre understandings, but it's, it's the recognition of those and allowing the text to speak for itself. And what we're both saying here is that the issue that we both saw when growing up in, and I'll be completely honest, my growing up in the IFB was much better, it seems, than than (laughs) your experience. Um, I think my pastor at the time was a Bob Jones graduate, and they they seemed, at the time anyway, to to have a pretty decent respect for God's Word. Um, For instance, my pastor, who would be thoroughly... Uh, IFB had uh, Martin Lloyd Jones commentaries on his shelf yeah. because he cared about what the word said, and it, even if it came to a conclusion that he didn't like or he didn't agree on, he he wanted to know what people was saying the text said. Um, so I've kind of got lost my train of thought, but all that to say is that that's our that's our the point in this is would, are we allowing the text to speak for itself? Because you said the the biggest sin in all this is. When you force something onto the text, even if it's a good something that the text doesn't actually say, you are essentially silencing God's word and you're supplanting it with your word, the, the, the word of fallible man. Even if it's a good word, it's still replacing what God has said, as if the arrogance of that is as if it needs to be replaced. Yeah, so let's let's step into some specific examples of this. Through the podcast, the Recovering Fundamentalist mm-hmm. podcast, uh, we've seen this as people preach about us because we're getting a really large and growing collection of sermons that and sermon clips that are preached about us. And one of the most common verses that is used out of context is the verse, they went out from us because they were not of us. The book mm. the, In 1 John 2, 19, it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us but they went out that it may become plain that they all are not of us. Mm. And that verse is used basically saying that we're leaving the IFB movement 
So we're no longer independent Baptists. And they're using that verse that is talking about apostates, Mm -hmm. people that are clearly not even saved. And they're using that verse, quoting that verse about us. So they're twisting scripture to prove their point, which I think totally undoes their point and proves that they have something to hide. Mm -hmm. But that's the type of preaching that I heard growing up. It was like there was no accountability. I heard a preacher stand up and preach out of the uh, Old Testament yesterday. Someone sent me a clip and I was listening to it and totally butchered the text. It was the text about the axe head flying off and landing in the river. He preached a totally different sermon If I had listened to his sermon, had never read that text, I would have thought something totally different was happening. And the the pastor that had been in that church for years and years and years stood up in the pulpit afterwards and said, I just want everybody here to know that I'm 100% for that kind of preaching. (laughs) And and it didn't bother him at all. So there's like no accountability for twisting scripture. And uh, I've got an example here. I'm going to let you listen to this audio from our friend at uh, IFB Sermon Clips on Twitter. Yeah, shout out to him. I think this makes the point. This is evangelist Daniel Waters, and he's talking about Aaron and his sons. Let's listen to this. But look at chapter 10 and verse number 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. You know what they did? They took a little bit of the fire that God sent down, the real thing, but then they tried to mix it with their own little ingredients to make it what they wanted it to be because they weren't satisfied with the real thing. There's a lot of strange fire coming in today, amen. I'm going to tell you something that's more dangerous. I personally believe it may be as dangerous, maybe more dangerous than even Joel Osteen or Rick Warren and some of these progressive liberals is somebody in our own movement that wants to take a little bit of that old-time fire that they grew up under, but then they want to mix it with a little bit of this new stuff, and they try to bring it together, and we're seeing a, a generation of young people being sucked into that. I mean, the Pied Piper is playing, and they're falling we want a slick road to hell and compromise i say we gotta protect the fire against the wind don't get caught up in all that mess Hmm. so is that what's happening in that text is is that what he's dealing with in the text is that why the holy spirit revealed that because of liberalism and progressivism (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) what does that text have anything to do with old time religion and an apparent steering away from by that he means the independent fundamental um baptist movement more than likely yeah yeah and and you know there's uh, there might be some sort of uh (laughs) some sort of Good use of making an application. You know, John MacArthur, yeah, John MacArthur recently wrote a book and held a conference called Strange Fire. Mm-hmm. And he's dealing with, <clears throat> you know, the improper worship of God, which is really what that text is talking about. Right. The improper worshiping God in the wrong way, which breaks the second commandment. Uh, the first commandment tells us who to worship, the second commandment tells us how we should worship him. We're not allowed to have idols and images and things like that. 
So, you know, there is an application there for modern day pollution of worship. But when right. you start preaching that that verse and use it to back up only singing hymns or women have to wear skirts, which I promise you is what he's doing in this sermon and many other sermons I grew up hearing, mm-hmm. they're, they're twisting it to mean something that the text never intended. And I believe that dishonors God's word. So you grew up in this and you mentioned that uh, you you started learning hermeneutics from from your seminary uh just describe to me like how that process went well basically as soon as i felt the call to preach and started preaching i began to consume i would say unhealthy amounts of sermons Mm. like I, i was working construction at the time and so i began to listen to i think i had a cassette player in my truck at the time cassettes uh, CDs at that time, uh, MP3s were out where you would burn a bunch of MP3 sermons onto a CD. And so I was doing that, downloading them from the internet, burning them to an MP3 and going and listening to them at work. And, um, so I was listening to, man, I would say easily 20, 30, 40 sermons a week. Hmm. Sometimes I'd listen to three or four a day, sometimes more. Like I was listening to just ridiculous amounts of sermons. So as I did that, I was listening for how to preach as much as I was listening to what they were preaching. Hmm. And so I believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. He started showing me, even though I couldn't, I didn't even know it was hermeneutics at the time. Hmm. He was showing me basically what was good, what was bad, what I should avoid, what was most effective. and the pastors that spoke to me, I began branching out. That's when I discovered John Piper and some other guys like that. Um, I, I even discovered some audio recordings. And I think there's a lot of them out there, Martin Lloyd-Jones and mm-hmm. different guys like that, and started listening to these sermons as opposed to what I grew up with. And every time, without fail, the pastors that God would use to convict my heart and that really made an impact on me were expositional preachers and guys like John Piper and and John MacArthur and and other guys that were just exposing the text and preaching through the word. And so my heart was just primed for uh, uh, instruction, biblical instruction on this. And that's right about the time where I took my first hermeneutics course in college. And it just absolutely blew my mind rocked my world. I was already starting to do some of it. So it was like one of those discoveries. Like, I know this, the the Holy Spirit taught me this. I realized this on my own studying and listening to sermons and had some incredible conversations with my professor and other pastors that were in my class. But yeah, the Holy Spirit was just driving me back to the text. You know, it was very similar for me, the process that I went through. Um, the, the military took me out of the IFB and I never went back. But um, as I was getting back into uh, church um, and, and serving in the church and, and learning to study the Bible and stuff like this, um, I went easily back to that style of preaching that, that I had heard. Um, but I had run across, and you had mentioned him, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, and I think this, his sermons can be found at mljtrust.org. Um but one of the things I noticed about him, and it comes from his background as a physician, as a doctor, is when they were training to be 
uh, medical professionals back then, they would have extensive periods of time of on-the-job training where he would go to a, to a hospital and walk through the wards and diagnose patients. And then based off his diagnosis, the real doctor would come in, the active doctor, and they would walk through the patients again, and he would see where he got it right and where he got it wrong. But what I quickly noticed was he was doing the same thing with the scriptures. He was using the same kind of diagnostic testing that he would do to patients. What are the particulars of this patient, or in, in this terms of scripture, what are the particulars of this text? And so based on these particulars, here's what it can't say. Here's what it can't mean. But here's the possibilities that it could mean. And then you keep going down this process of eliminating and eliminating possibilities until you finally arrive at the, the, the genuine uh, authorial intended meaning. Um, and I, I was so attracted to that. Now, there is, it is not everybody's cup of tea. He does spend like four sermons and just the, the word Paul at the beginning of the, the book of Romans. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but, but that, that's the point, though, is like, you know, before you can get into the book of Romans, you need to understand who wrote it. And the way you understand who wrote it is to have a well-rounded experience of who he is, what, what had happened to him, what has he taught elsewhere. So it, there's, there's a, a good reason for that. But that's what directed me, much like you, to I was, honestly, I, I appreciated how they respected the text mm-hmm. versus the guys that we've already mentioned in some experience, how they disrespect the text or sometimes just ignore the text. Anybody who preaches the text and exposes the true meaning of the text, I support it 100%. I was in churches that were mainly doing topical preaching, topical sermons, topical series, but they were faithful to the text, um, and and it helped me, and I grew, and my family grew, and it was wonderful. Well, through a long series of events, God ended up calling us out of a church where we were uh, the, the youth pastors and ended up going to a Calvary Chapel in mm. downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee, Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga. And my pastor was Frank Ramzor. And the very first Sunday I walked into that church, I was it was a big church. They had just moved into a new building. And so I was thinking, ah, this is a typical mega church. It's going to be, you know, health, wealth, prosperity, whatever, all about you and not Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. Well, I walked in the church. They had a very balanced uh, worship time, which spoke to me. It was incredible. They had hymns, they had some more contemporary songs, but did it in a very low key kind of not a showy way. And then the pastor stood up and he said, well, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of John. He said, and we're in John, I think chapter 20. He said, we've been here for half a year, or or I think it was a year and a half, something like that. Mm -hmm. And he said, and we've got three more weeks in the book of John. (laughs) And I remember looking at my wife and thinking, okay, this is different. I had never been in a church before where they preached through books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. That week, he preached one of the most in, like transformational sermons for my life because I had heard other guys preach expositionally, and most of these guys were going verse by verse. And what I mean is they would spend three weeks in one or two verses. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it was more of a boring, dry teaching style of this Greek word means this, and this means this, and just walking through it. And, you know, that would put me to sleep as a kid. Mm -hmm. But then when he said he was preaching through the Bible, that was what I was expecting. But he basically took the, I think, 10 verse, six to 10 verses that he preached that morning. And he basically preached 
the topics that were in the verse and dealt with the, the context, tackled the topics that were in the verse. And I think some people call that more textual preaching than expository preaching, but he's still going in the text, dealing with what it says in context. And each week had a different topic. That was kind of the serm, the title of a sermon. And so that I went through the, the seven years that we were there, uh, in the Sunday morning worship service where Frank was preaching and then Kenny was preaching in the youth group that I started attending and my kids were in the youth group. Then I went on staff and we went on missions trips and, and, uh, the four or the seven years I was there, we went through 14 books of the Bible. Mm. My kids got to go through 14 books of the Bible in those seven years in their high school years, Mm -hmm. which were very, very, uh, helpful to them. And and I think their discipleship grew, my discipleship grew. And that was when I was still in seminary. And my my whole approach to preaching changed at that Mm -hmm. point. And when I was the middle school youth pastor there, I started preaching through the book of Mark. And after I preached through the book of Mark, I said, I will never preach another way than <laughs> preaching through books of the Bible. And I don't believe you have to preach through them in order. I usually go New Testament, Old Testament, new, you know, back and forth. So you can kind of have a well-rounded group. But, but I want my congregation's primary intake of the word to be expositional preaching from the Bible. Now, in between going through books of the Bible, I've always preached topical sermons or series, like three or four weeks on a certain topic. Like in COVID, we did a series on that. We did a worldview series one time in between books of the Bible. But I I believe the steady, regular diet of disciples of Jesus Christ should be learning what the Bible actually says in context. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Join me next time for the conclusion of my conversation with Pastor Nathan Cravat right here on the Hermeneutics Podcast.